jump into that right now. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy this morning. I thank you for your son that you graciously gave us so many years ago. Who came and lived the perfect life that we could not live and died the death that we deserved. So that we might be made right with you. Father, we need that hope in this world that brings trials and tribulations. Lord, we need hope in the midst of suffering, especially when it's unjust, when we're suffering because of our faith in you. And so, Lord, this morning, help us to find great hope and prepare ourselves to suffer well, Lord, so that we glorify you in everything that we do. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It comes to no surprise to any of us that living in this world is a challenge. The world itself is, is fighting against our desire to follow the Lord. In fact, everything about it goes against the Spirit of God. Sin and temptation abounds. And you can imagine how much more difficult it would have been for the original audience Peter wrote to. They were being persecuted for their faith. Their families were being threatened. The temptation to walk away from God had to be pretty strong. But Peter wanted them to suffer well. And so he wrote the words that we just read. And within this passage, I want to highlight three principles that can be very beneficial for us as well as we face specifically unjust suffering because of our faith in Christ. Here's the first one. Protect your Christian relationships. Protect your Christian relationships. Look again at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So Peter, in these verses, he's specifically addressing the believers. He's 
He's addressing the church, the true church, the big C church. And he's specifically talking to them here in that verse about their relationship with one another. And this is so crucial. His audience endured so much from the world attacking them because of their professed faith in Christ. And and here's the reality for us as believers. We cannot be both friends with God and friends with the world. To stand for the things of God, to stand on his word, is to make a stand against the principalities and the things of this world. And so it was a very unsafe place for them to be living. Perhaps some of you work in environments and places where there aren't many Christians. And that, that's a pretty lonely place, potentially. So how much, more, how much more important then would it have been for these early Christians to have strong Christian relationships with others who could encourage each other? I mean, can you imagine what those early church gatherings were like in Peter's time? The things that they may have faced that week to come together and share those things and to be able to encourage one another, to hug one another. Perhaps you heard of a threat and then to see them in person and realize they made it. They didn't, they didn't lose their life over it. I mean, the value of Christian relationships for them must have been just, you, you couldn't put a price tag on it. But the same thing is true for us. We desperately need good, strong Christian relationships. To be together with like-minded believers to encourage one another to keep on keeping on would have been absolutely necessary and is absolutely necessary for us today. And this is why Peter wrote verse 8. You've got to guard the unity that you have with one another. In light of all the suffering that you will face, we can't afford to be fighting with one another. We need to protect our relationships with fellow believers. Do you think this is true today? Do you think we need this today in our world? We may not be facing the hardships that Peter's audience was facing, but nevertheless, we need one another. And here's the sad reality that is often the case in the church. Sometimes for people, the hardest hardships come in the church. So many people have been burned by pastors and churches and other believers. And that's because verse 8 is not being lived out. So let's just break these down one by one. First thing, we need to have unity of mind. What does it mean to have unity of mind? Are we supposed to think the same way about everything? We're, We're not to have any opinion but one? Well, certainly... That's not the case. I mean, let's just think of the absurdity of that. I mean, just if we were to mention all the different college football fans that we have here, there's an there's a, a array. There's actually some enemies here. Like, I'm a Notre Dame fan, and some of you have made it very clear that you are not a Notre Dame fan. I don't know why you will decide to do that, but you do. And for some reason, God has chosen to bring a lot of Ohio State fans here. I guess they need, they need Christ more than anybody that I know of. So... <laughs> But the reality is we, we don't agree. We don't agree on who our favorite team is, and that's fine. Another thing we don't al- always agree on is, is food preference. For me, I, I can literally eat anywhere. All right? I, I could eat at White Castle. Don't, join, don't judge me for that. Some of you are like, that's disgusting, and I lost all respect for you, and I'm leaving right now. Uh, we all have different opinions on that. Like, some people don't like Chick-fil-A, which 
something's wrong with you if you do. But, but we can still have unity somehow by God's grace. By the way, did you hear Elkhart's looking to add one on Cassopolis Street? Praise the Lord. The first service responded in no way to that. So you guys are more godly than that, right? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But the reality is, we, it, this is not, this, this uh, unity of mind is not thinking the same thing on everything. But what it does mean is that on the essentials, on the things that matter most, on gospel issues, we are in agreement. We have unity. For instance, how are we saved? We believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from good works. If we can't stand firm on that, and there are some people who would not believe that is true, they would want to add works in that, it's going to be a hard for us to have unity. So as we gather as a church, we declare this is what we believe. We need to be unified over those things. Consider the Trinity. There are three persons in how many gods? One God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A mystery we don't fully understand, but the scripture is very clear. There's one God. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he suffered. And that he bore the sins of every person who would ever believe in him on the cross for our sins. So that we might be made right. These are things that we firmly believe in that we need to have unity of mind in. We believe in the depravity of man. What does that mean? When we're born in this world, we are born separated from God. Our, our family this week, we were watching a reality TV show, and one of the, one of the guys on there, uh, so they play these games, and there's eliminations, and there's just a few people left, and he looked around, like, you know, we all came from good places. We're all good people. We all, that's how we all started, basically referring to, like, they were born good people. And the reality is that that's not what Scripture teaches. We don't believe that. And if you believe that is true, that creates a lot of problems for you. We can't have unity if we disagree on the main gospel things. We must have unity. We must be of the same mind when it comes to the essentials. So what happens when we disagree on something? In those cases, what do we do? Well, I suggest, first of all, that we learn to lean into one another. And we seek clarity and we strive to have the same mind, seeking out what the scripture teaches us. Uh, recently I had a, a member come to me expressing a concern about something I had said and that happens from time to time. He did it with grace and humility. And I realized that I had made a mistake and I gave clarity to what I was trying to communicate. And, and he helped me realize based on what I said that it could actually lead to be something very unhealthy for the church to hear. And so it taught me, I mean, i got to be more careful on what I say. Now, this situation could have been an area of strife. And yet, because we worked through it, what did it produce more of? It actually produced more unity. There was more of like a camaraderie, like, hey, we're in this together. Like, I'm not above you coming to me and calling me out for something that maybe I said wrong or I messed up or maybe I need to be addressed because I'm not thinking clearly. And he, he could have just said, you know what, Ben is an idiot, and I'm out of here. And sadly, that's what often happens in churches, where people don't take the time. Listen, there comes a time where you might have to leave. But we need to make sure that we are striving for unity, that when there is a disagreement on something, we need to come together and, and talk about. Now, the problem comes when we think something is essential when it's not essential. So we work together, 
sometimes I've agreed, and people in our church that disagree on something, but we've realized, you know what, this is a secondary issue. This doesn't matter. Brothers and sisters, this world is tough enough on its own. We've got to do all that we can to protect the unity of our church. Be unified in mind. Next, Peter says, have sympathy. Sympathy is a, is a call for compassion for one another. It involves stepping into the shoes of someone else and seeking to understand their situation and where they are coming from. This is a really hard one, isn't it? Why is that? It's because we have, we have all been raised a certain way. We have come to value certain things and think a certain way. And if someone contradicts us, we tend to struggle to understand them. And in those situations, what is easier to do? Is it easier to just make a judgment and start judging that person? Or is it easier to lean in, to gain an understanding, to have some sympathy of why they are struggling the way that they're struggling? course it's much easier just to judge someone else and sadly that's what often happens in the world and sometimes even in the church but this is not the way of Christ we can't contribute to the hard things of this world by living in disunity and not sympathizing with one another I mean just think about this we, we all of us from time to time are going through battles how many of you this week have had some kind of battle go through? Raise your hand. Had some kind of battle. And so when we, when we refuse to lean in, here's what happens. Sometimes, and I, it happens to me, we get overwhelmed by our own struggle, our own problem, that we think the whole world should revolve around our struggle. And so that when somebody comes and bursts our bubble, they don't even mean to, but because you find yourself in a bad place, all of a sudden we lash out at that person. Why? Because we're just consumed with ourselves. We're not having sympathy. We're not thinking about another person maybe in a struggle. I see this happen, and I hear a lot of complaints sometimes about going to restaurants and getting bad service. You know what the Bible says about love? Love believes all things. So one of the things that in those circumstances when it's bad service, I choose to believe, you know what? I don't know what this person has gone through this week. I'm not going to stick them with no tip just because they had bad service. Perhaps they got the worst news they could ever imagine and they couldn't get out of work. But yet, often, what do we do? We don't, we don't choose to have sympathy because we just think about ourselves. We're self-consumed. No, brothers and sisters, we need to have sympathy. Next, Peter says, have brotherly love. The Greek word here, is Philadelphos, from which we get the city, which stands for the city of brotherly love. This is affection for one another, is loving one another. Peter goes on to say, having a tender heart, this is very similar to sympathy. We should have a heart that leans towards people. A heart that loves people, that reaches out to people, that has a soft place, even for those who annoy us. Like, there, there are people in our families, sometimes we annoy one another. But Scripture calls for us to be tender, to be soft to one another. Lastly, Peter here calls for us to have a humble mind. Now, when I think of humility, humility is not like trashing yourself. It's not like beating yourself up and telling yourself how dumb and 
stupid and miserable and worthless you are. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourselves. Rather, humility is thinking of yourself less. It's just spending less time being, ab being absorbed by yourself. It's in humility you are counting others more significant. You are thinking of others ahead of yourself. That's what humility is. Humility has nothing to do with what you think of yourself. It has everything to do with your focus. I'm, I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on everybody else. That's humility. We need to have humble minds. When we're thinking of others, that leads us to have sympathy. That leads us to have a tender heart towards one another. But when we are consumed with ourselves, when we only look to our own interests, this is what causes disunity. And this is what's really troubling when we already live in this hard world that we're contributing the hardness to one another in the way that we treat each other. We need one another. And when you consider all these early Christians had to endure, you can clearly see how critical it was that this is how they needed to do life together. We cannot do this on our own. I heard a story this week of a new visitor that came and was talking to one of our members. And the member took the time who just met the stranger to then pray for them. And this person, this visitor felt loved enough to tell one of our staff of, of what had taken place. I mean, that, that warms a pastor's heart to know that the church is being the church, taking the time to listen to strangers and then to pray for them. So let me ask you, believer, are you striving for unity within the church? When you have a struggle with someone, how do you go about resolving that? Do you lean into that relationship to seek clarity from that person? Or do you use that as an opportunity to throw that person under the bus and then go tell your friends all about them? We already have enough struggles in the world. We don't need to be battling with one another. Brothers and sisters, protect your Christian relationships. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are, are on the righteous, and his ears are, upon, are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's the next point. Guard from retaliating against your persecutors. Guard from retaliating against your persecutors. Now, we've seen all throughout this, first, this book of 1 Peter that Peter has a lot of hard asks of us, doesn't he? A lot of hard things he's calling us to do. Here's another one. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. This goes against our flesh. Everything that we want uh, it, it goes against this. We want to get mad and we want to get even. And in our minds, we say that, that we want to make things right when really what we want to do is make the person who wronged us suffer. Here, Peter flips the script. You see, if, if you 
think that you will be blessed if you repay, you're, you're going to find yourself in deep trouble. But that's what we think we need. We think we need, we need to make this right. We, we need to pay for what they've done. If only I could pay them back for what they did, I'd feel a lot better. But that's not the way it works. In Christ's terms, instead of repaying evil for evil, be a blessing to them in order that you might obtain a blessing. We get it so backwards in our heads. We want to take justice in our own hands, and it's not the place where it needs to be or it should be. And we see here in verse 10, Peter quotes Psalm 34. Psalm 34, great psalm, one of my favorites. And it's a psalm that focuses on suffering and the Lord's deliverance of those who are afflicted. Do you think that applies to 1 Peter? I think it's pretty applicable for what Peter has said here. Notice it says, verse 10 again, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So what he's saying is, look, Man, when, when we try to repay evil for evil, when we revile those who revile us, it usually leads to us having a biting evil tongue. It leads to deceit because what we start to do is we start to twist and make what a person has done wrong even worse. You know what I mean? Like you're so mad that your anger leads you to stretch what that person did when our heart is all about reviling and repaying evil for evil. And Peter is saying, guys, remember Psalm 34, you know this. You can't repay. If you want to love life and see good days, don't do this. Don't retaliate. Think about it. When you retaliate, does the other person think, okay, you know what? I deserve that. We're good. All right. Let's wipe the slate clean. Let's start over. Is that the way it works? No, it, it leads to more trouble. It leads to a bigger mess. It leads to more evil. It leads to deceit. Instead, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Do good. Do what's right. And then he says these words that are hard for us to hear. Let him seek peace and pursue it. As believers in Christ, we are all called to be peacemakers. Because isn't that what Christ came and did for us? brought us peace with him. And so therefore, as we're interacting with people who rile us up, who think differently than us, don't retaliate. Instead, how can you bring peace to this situation? We are called to the best of our abilities to be peacemakers. We are to seek it. We are to pursue it. That means we have to put energy into it. Peace is not going to come knocking on your door by accident. You've got to choose it and you've got to go after it. That's how you will find blessing. But when we join in and act like the world in our response to them, it makes us no different than that. You might be thinking, Ben, you don't know what I've had to go through. If you only knew the people that I've had to deal with, you wouldn't be saying these things. Listen, I, I would probably struggle right there with you. But all I can do is point you to our Savior. Turn back with me to 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called. What is the call? 
to do good and suffer and endure. To that you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Let me just think about that, right? Let's just say a phenomenal statement. Jesus never at one point, like we might have an hour maybe. <laughs> we might have, we might have a, a, a length of period, a couple hours where, hey, I didn't sin. I did pretty good. But we don't need to go very far, do we, to realize, man, we got a lot of dark history in our life. Jesus, not one time did he commit a single sin. Not one time was there any deceit in his mouth. And listen to this, verse 20. First of all, who, who had the right to just smash all creation and be done with all people? Like, who, who would have been just in doing that apart from Christ? And yet, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to his father. He knew whose hands he was in. He knew who had the last say. He knew who he was in control. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Brothers, this is why we can't retaliate. Because Jesus didn't retaliate against us. Why was Jesus on the cross? Why did he endure the brutal treatment that he treated before he even went up on the cross? It was because of our sin. Man, when we get treated unjustly, how often have we flipped our lids and yet Jesus was treated like he was and on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. Listen, we need the Spirit of God to help us in this. This is not going to come to us easy. But Peter wants us to remember the Savior. He did not return reviling with reviling. He did not retaliate. Instead, he loved his enemies. And and here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about our Heavenly Father. God never calls for us to do something that he himself isn't also willing to do. How many times have you been asked to do something by a a boss who would never do that job? (laughs) And yet Jesus is saying, don't revile. Listen, I didn't revile. I was brutally beaten, hung on a cross. Follow me. So brothers and sisters, guard from retaliating against your persecutors. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator because verse 12 says this the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but there's a warning here the face of the Lord is against those who do evil listen God's got you he's got your back he's going to protect you look at verse 13 Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Here's the last thing. Glorify God in your response. Glorify God in your response. When you are treated unfairly, make sure you glorify God in that. So how do we glorify God in light of these verses? Well, first of all, don't let your persecutors, your revilers, have a place in your head. Don't give them any headspace. Don't fear them. Don't worry about them. Remember Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is the one who can destroy body and soul in hell? God. Fear God alone. Don't fear man. Don't let them. Listen, they have nothing on you. You are in the hands of the almighty father in heaven who reigns sovereignly. He's got you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He has the last word. So focus on his glory alone by honoring Christ in your hearts. Listen, when we honor Christ as holy in our hearts, what it means is this. We are living holy lives. We are living the way that he has called us to live. We are setting our affections solely on him and on his desire for how he wants us to live. And if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will certainly be blessed. Know this, believer. When you live for Christ, you will get people asking you questions. You'll get people coming after you. And so this, Peter is saying, be ready. Be ready to give, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that you have hope. But listen here. We, 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 you need to listen to this. Because in this world, we get this wrong a lot. This is not a time where your goal is to make someone look stupid in your defense of Christ. This is not an opportunity for you to show how intelligent you are and how dumb the other person who is challenging you is. After all, think about this. How did you come to Jesus? Did you come to Jesus because of how intelligent you were, how bright you were? What is his mercy in his grace that drew you, that opened your eyes to see him. So listen, your sharp responses to those who are questioning your faith in Christ, the only reason why they don't believe is because they've been blinded by the enemy. And the only reason you believe is because God tore down the veil. When you give a defense, Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. The question I have is, where do Christians get that it's okay to slam someone who doesn't believe in Jesus? Where do we get that we don't have to use patience, gentleness, and respect? seems to me that this is a lost art in our world today. Just pull up Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can find it, easily find a video of, of a Christian who is slamming an unbeliever, and you'll see all these Christians applauding him 
and it's done in a way that is not gentle, not respectful. Believer, we, it's hard, this is hard stuff. I am not immune to being angry at the world and what it says, but I find this deeply convicting. And we also have to be care- very careful here in the political realm of things because we can find whoever we want on our side of the, of the spectrum who can get us riled up and angry and fired up, ready to burn down the other town. And this is not the way of Christ. So when you encounter people who think differently than you, who are challenging your faith, who are belittling you, how do you respond? Just consider the way Paul, you know the Apostle Paul, right? Did he have an easy life after he came to Christ? He was a zealous Pharisee, a Pharisee of all Pharisees, one of the top dog in the Pharisaical world, a Jew upon all Jews, and yet he came to Christ. He opened his eyes and he repented of his sins and placed his faith in Christ. And did his, his fellow Jews treat him well after that? He's beaten, shipwrecked, endured so much, and yet this is what he said about his people. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, or sorry, Romans 9, 3, let me go back. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. These are startling words from, from Paul. It's, it's almost like he's saying, hey, I, I, if, if, I, if you could just accurse me so that my brothers could be saved, I'd do it. This is how much he loved his people. This is how much he loved them. They were persecuting him. They were beating him. They were imprisoning him. And yet he has this much love for him. Believer, do you have the same kind of love and compassion for those who are against you in this world? Is this your heart? Or are you a one looking to have a smart response and belittle someone and make someone look stupid? Or do you even participate in watching the videos and clicking your like button because it makes you feel good and fired up inside? We've got to be careful here. In the midst of suffering, are we loving those who persecute us? Do it with gentleness defend yourself with gentleness and respect we still speak the truth right but we do it in love having a good conscience verse 16 we can't have a good conscience if we're ripping people apart i don't know how you can feel good about yourself when when we're doing that i know i've done i've been there i've done that and i feel like such a fool when i go back and have to erase my comments because it was done from a heart of of anger and reviling Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Listen, there will come a a point eventually that those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ-likeness, they'll be put to shame. Or better yet, through your actions of Christ-likeness, they might be won to Jesus and repent and seek forgiveness. But know this, believer, even if those never repent and you are treated in the most horrific ways, remember this in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but have it, but leave it to the name, to the wrath of God. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, God's got this. Leave it to him. You're going to be suffered unjustly, but let him take care of it. Instead, have compassion, have sympathy, have an understanding that their eyes have been blinded by the enemy. It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, if the Lord would so will. So as we close, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, suffering is a part of the Christian life. Don't let it be because of your sin. Do everything that you can to protect your Christian relationships. We need each other. Guard from retaliating against your persecutors. Instead, pursue peace. Lean into those relationships. And be sure that in it all you glorify God in your response. Correct, defend with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercies. Thank you for taking on our sin. Lord, would you, would you keep that at the forefront of our minds always? The gospel, the good news. That, Lord, the, the only reason why we come to you is not because we were so smart to to choose you. It's not because we had good works. Rather, Lord, when, when, when we were still your enemies, you died for us. So, Father, would you allow that to lead us to great compassion? First of all, we should love one another all the more because of this unique love that you have for us. But also, Lord, give us compassion towards the lost that when we battle, and Lord, there are times when we, our heads want to explode. And in those moments, would you just remind us of your grace and mercy towards us so that we could be gracious and merciful to those around us. And God, I thank you that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to us because we don't get this right. And Lord, we're in this unique in-between of already but not yet. 2,000 years ago, they waited for you. You came, you died, you paid the price for sin. And, and Lord, we're, we're waiting for your return. And it's hard. We still deal with our own sin. We still get in the way. But God, would you just, would you just turn our hearts to you? To your grace and mercy towards us. And then may it overflow to those around us. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand now as we sing in response.